This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 132. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, Ask Kickers, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you're here, and I hope that the new year is going well for you. I know that a lot of people kind of felt like 2016, you know, the Grim Reaper had a good year, but a lot of us sort of felt like it was a rough year. I myself, I'm not like super banking on 2017 to like be the best year ever. I'm kind of going in with a little bit of trepidation, um, but always, you know, looking towards the positive that it, it is, it's a new year and we get to decide on how we want to look at it and what our perspective is. So remember that you always have that. And what I wanted to kind of touch on before I get into today's topic, which I'm going to talk to you about something I've sort of been thinking about over the last few months, and that is how to kind of shine a light on your own issues, on your own stuff, which I talk about all the time, without beating yourself up for it, which is something else I talk about. And sometimes it's tough to do that. It's tough to look at your own stuff without beating yourself up in the process. So I'm going to I'm gonna talk to you about that in just a minute. But I wanted to kind of touch on something else that I didn't really write a blog post about it, but it is something that I'm going to go into more depth in um, on the recovery series. And that is how I am getting through the grief of losing my father being a sober person. And so for those of you that don't know, my father passed away on October 16th of 2016. He got sick, um, had a rare form of leukemia that I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. It starts with an M, I think. Um, But it was basically a form of leukemia that um, turns your bone marrow into scar tissue over time, which is um, painful for a lot of people that have it, and there is no cure for it. So we believe that he was sick for a long time, that he had it for a while, and just either didn't have any physical symptoms or didn't complain until it got really bad. By the time he was diagnosed, he um, he passed away within about six weeks. They said, the doctor said he had, one doctor said he has some months, I'm not sure what he meant by that. Another doctor said he had six. I knew when I flew out to go and see him based on um, how much he had declined because um, I had just seen him in June of that year. Uh, I knew that he did not have very much time at all. And sure enough, he did not. So he died fairly quickly. It wasn't um, a long goodbye, which I know can be excruciatingly painful as well. And so for me, Uh, having never lost anyone before in my life. You know, I always thought about how would I handle it? How am I going to handle when somebody close to me dies? You know, I feel like I have decent coping mechanisms now, much more than I did even 10 years ago, but you just kind of never know how it's going to hit you, how you're going to deal with it. And people say, oh, everyone deals with grief differently. and, And that really is true. You know, seeing people around me grieve differently, but for me personally, being someone who has a history of running away from 
not only my problems, but more so running away from feelings, I was uh, a little bit kind of curious. Like, I wonder how this is going to go. And, you know, I got sober from alcohol in 2011. And before that, you know, through my 20s, I struggled with, I think it started with codependence. I was a severe codependent. And then that kind of morphed into love addiction as well as an eating disorder all throughout my 20s. Those kind of, I had like the, um, it was like the trifecta. (laughs) God. And then probably around the time I turned 30, 31 is when I sort of opened my eyes up to that and then started to get help for that. It was really helpful in therapy and and group support and things like that for those issues. And then that's exactly when my drinking picked up. So I definitely traded in one addiction for another. And it started out, the drinking started out not terrible, but it progressed extremely quickly. So that happened, that was happening probably around 2009, 2010. And then I got sober in 2011. Really, I think that I got sober so early on in my kind of alcoholic career, if you want to call it that, because I knew what addiction looked like. Uh, my dad got sober when I was 18, so I you know, had kind of done some research around there, knew what it looked like, knew what my own addictive personality looked like, so it was, it was really an intuition thing where I was like, okay, this is bad. So there's that story. So when my dad died, I had five plus years, uh, or no, actually I take that back. I had just celebrated my five year anniversary and it was kind of like, all right, this is sort of the test of it. This is going to, you know, really, I don't really like to use the word test, but it's really going to be, I don't have a better word for it. A test of, you know, can I turn to the coping mechanisms that are more healthy rather than drinking for me and you know some of the other former things that I do because I don't I don't know if there's any other thing that we go through um you know besides grief that will try to plunge us back into um either our current addictive behaviors or our old ones I do plan on going into a lot more depth into this topic um if you are listening to the recovery series that comes out on Tuesdays, the very last episode, um, episode number 10, I'm going to talk more about this, but really, you know, I, like it's been fucking hard. Like, <laughs> let me just start by saying that it's been really hard. And I think that the one thing that I'm going to touch on about this, again, I'll go into more detail in another episode, but it, it is that of surrender versus resistance. And so I know now that anytime I am numbing out, anytime I am not feeling the feelings, which a lot of times we don't want to do because they're hard. And that is resistance. That is resisting against our bodies. It's resisting against really just the human experience. And I think sometimes that works for a little while. I do. I think sometimes we can do that and it kind of works until it doesn't. And there have been times where I find myself standing in the pantry with a bottle of Pringles or, you know, whatever tube of Pringles, I guess, and just eating them mindlessly. And then I kind of like come back to, and I, and I, and I 
The great thing is now is that I know that it's happening. I have the self-awareness to know that it's happening. Like maybe I got triggered or maybe I'm just having a hard day. Or sometimes the thing is about grief and the the thing is with just, I think, feelings in general, if anyone's like struggled with anxiety and, and those types of feelings, it's they kind of come out of nowhere and they have no rhyme or reason. And that can be extremely frustrating. It's like, what, I want a reason. Like, why did this happen? Did I get triggered? Did, did something happen? Was it something I ate? What, am I not sleeping enough? Did I have that extra cup of coffee and I shouldn't have? What is it? And sometimes we can't put our finger on it. And, oh, that's so frustrating, right? And so I have found that with this grief, that happens more often than not, where it just comes up on me just because my dad died. Like, that's just the reason. Kind of circling back to surrender, that there is a part of me that really doesn't want to deal with that. <laughs> and it's funny because I thought, like, okay, I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna cry when it comes up. I'm gonna be sad. I'm gonna really just like lean into the grief. And I think that I thought that it would be easier if I did that. Like, the grief would somehow like subside. Like, if I played by the rules, then my grief gets taken down a notch. (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny. Because that's not what happened. (laughs) But I do know that if I don't surrender, like if I resist, that this grief will come out in other ways. I will lash out at everyone. Um, Because if you've ever been in grief, maybe... Well, one of my symptoms, and I know it is for a lot of people, it's irritability. Like just anyone around me breathing irritates me. (laughs) But if I don't surrender to the feelings, that gets kicked up a thousandfold. It will come out in um, any kind of behavior that doesn't feel good to me at all. At the end of the day, I end up not being proud of the person that I am because I am resisting the feelings. It keeps coming back to surrender. It keeps coming back to surrender. And, you know, I I could see that if I was still drinking, that I would drink a lot during that time. I would have not wanted to deal with any of that sadness at all. And in my mind, when I was still drinking, the solution was wine. The solution was a few beers. And what's really kind of interesting is that I know now in retrospect that if I would have drank through this, it would have been like putting, you know, one of those little tiny round band-aids. It would have been like putting that on like a gigantic gushing wound. That's what, that's the only analogy I could come up with of what it would have been like. And I would have thought that that bandaid was like the answer, but really it wasn't like, there's just bleeding all over the goddamn place. And, um, that bleeding would have come out and, you know, just all over the place. And just, I would have never dealt with it and it would have come up in other ways. It would have definitely bled over into my marriage. It would have bled over into my friendships. It would have bled over into everything, everything that I touch. It would have 
it would have gone into. So I'm not saying that because I surrender and because I'm like feeling all the feelings that everything's great, you know, and that I don't have moments where I'm super irritated with my kids and that I pull away from, you know, my friends and things like that. Like those things still happen, but the really great thing is that I have the wherewithal and I have the focus, if you will, I don't know if that's the best word, to know that it's happening. You know what I mean? Because like, if I was drinking through this, I would be like, or if I was like numbing my way through it, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that drinking is like the only way that we numb our feelings, right? It could be a host of all different things. You guys know that. And, you know, life is never perfect. Life still happens. And I think that um, it just, now the fog is cleared. The fog that was around me for so long has cleared. And I know when I am doing those things, um, you know, like eating the Pringles or not reaching out to my friends or not talking to my husband about it. Now I know that I'm doing it and I practice self-compassion. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today in this particular blog post slash podcast episode. So again, that was just kind of a snippet about, um, you know, this real life, real life stuff that's happening over here as I'm navigating this. I plan to do an entire episode where I'm talking about the whole story about what happened with my dad and I was with him when he died and and all the things that happened, all the feelings that came up. Because I think it's important. I think it's important for people to know, you know, real life stuff that happens because it's not all rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? And uh, I just have one quick announcement before I get into today's content. Your Kick-Ass Masterclass is open for registration. It's at kickassmasterclass.com. And this particular class, it is my signature program. It is all of the things that I teach my private clients and that I know to be important about living a life of courage and confidence and kickassery all in one online class. We go over everything from your negative self-talk, where I give you tools on how to manage that in your real life. We talk about your female friendships and your tribe and how important that is. We talk about your triggers, because I think that that's so important. We get triggered pretty much every day, and how we choose to behave in those moments says everything. So it's basically what I was just talking about. You know, Are you choosing to numb out? Are you choosing to people please or go in the direction of perfectionism? Do you choose to beat yourself up? Do you choose to lash out at people and blame? So we all have kind of this host of our typical default behaviors that we do depending on the situation, if we're at work or if we're at home or with our parents or or whomever. And we break that down because if you don't know when it's happening, how do you know when to use the tools? (laughs) So That's what is so important in this class that we go over. And there's a host of other topics that we go over and I teach you and you're in a group of women that are just like you that want better for themselves, that want to stop feeling like shit a lot of the time and can't figure out what it is, can't put your finger on it. So this class is a lot about self-awareness and just being really clear on what's going on so you can choose other behaviors. This helps your relationships. I can't tell you how much this helps your relationships. It helps your self-confidence and self-esteem and all of those things that are so important about you feeling proud of the woman you look at 
in the mirror. So it's at kickassmasterclass.com. I would love to see you there. There's a host of other things that are included. You get access to my alumni class when it's over. So it's not over when it's over. And hopefully I will see you there. So let's get on with today's topic. All right. I talk a lot about taking responsibility for your life, don't I? I often tell the story about my own life and finding myself on the other side of two back-to-back really bad relationships and blaming everyone else in my life for how shitty I was feeling and deciding that I'd had enough of all of that. So after I picked myself up off the floor one day, I decided to take responsibility for what I had tolerated, take responsibility for what I had attracted, and really what I didn't know in terms of what a healthy relationship looked like and what I really wanted out of life. On that day, really it was like on that one particular day, I started to do the hard work and everything changed. What I also talk a lot about is managing your negative self-talk, the inner voice that we all have that tells us we aren't good enough. And so if you've ever been in that place that I mentioned above, the place where you take radical responsibility for your life, you might encounter a side effect, massively harsh self-talk. It might sound like this. I can't believe I allowed that kind of relationship. I was so stupid to behave like that. Only an idiot would do that. I'm so ashamed of myself and on and on. You're trying to better yourself. And by doing so, it's necessary to shine a light on all the bullshit and messes that you might have made along the way. And at the same time, I'm over here telling you all day and all night to do it with self-compassion. And you might be thinking, how the fuck do I do that? Well, of course, never fear. I have some answers. So the first thing is that it's going to happen. It's normal once you really start taking inventory of what's up and what you want to change for you to look at your life with the stink eye. If you look at your life or your former life and think... Huh, it's really, it's really not that bad. Then either you're still in denial or you aren't ready for self-help or maybe it really isn't that bad and you don't need self-help. So if you're just like the rest of us and you see it all and you gasp, it's going to be okay. I promise. Second, this happens to everyone and everyone feels the same way. When you look at the things that you want to change, you might be embarrassed or full of regret, guilty, shamed, judgmental, disappointed, all of the hard emotions in one big old pile of shit. Again, it's part of the process. Third, practicing self-compassion is a learned process. Don't expect to get it right on the first day. Some people ask me, But when I talk to myself kindly, it feels kind of weird and not genuine. Okay, when you had your first two weeks in Spanish class learning me amo estasia y me gusto los tocadiscos, did you feel fluent in those first two weeks? Did you feel like you could fly down to Guadalajara, Mexico and blend into the natives? No, you didn't. Learning to speak in a self-compassionate manner is the same. It takes time. It takes practice and it takes more time and more practice to not only do it consistently with less effort, but to make it feel more genuine. 
You have to start somewhere. You have to start from the beginning. Fourth, watch where you start to dislike or hate that part of you. When you start to look at the parts of yourself that you want to improve or that you never want to go back to, it's easy to sort of disown that part of you. Like, you are dead to me. I did this too. In fact, once I realized it, I wrote a letter to myself apologizing to my former self. You can see that link in the show notes uh, in the blog post of this episode. Remember, you'd never have gotten to where you are now without being that former person. You had to go through those hard times and make all those mistakes to get where you are right now. Being that person who's improving herself. I know the success I have, both personally and professionally, was reliant on all the mistakes I made in the past, and yours will too. So that's all I got for you. If this post resonated with you, I encourage you to check out kickassmasterclass.com where we can further this journey of courage, of self-confidence, and kickassery. All right, ass kickers, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.